My finger! Take this, careful, it's hot. Ah, I can't believe you wrote me into helping me you with this crazy restaurant boat idea. Service! Who's even ordering food back there? It was just us aboard when we set sail. Listen, mate, you keep the nosh coming, let me worry about the patrons. You've been telling me not to worry about the patrons for years. Those are the Patreons. I want to- Brace! Huge wave incoming, starboard bow, tie down that toolbox! Ye gods, it's everywhere! Why are there so many spirit levels? It's important to look at things from the right angle! Surprisingly philosophical. Purely practical. This boat was a real fixer-upper. Hey, watch it. That soup's gonna burn. Turn down the gas. Uh, sorry. Not that much. Turn it up again. Ah, for the love of- God, Teo! No, no, no. Like this. Up, down, up, down. It's gotta be just the right temperature. Our guests are very discerning. It looks done to me. Done? It's just the beginning, my boy. Time for the fish course. Uh, okay, where's the fridge? Fridge. Don't insult the culinary arts. Only the freshest catch will do. Take this rod. Go out back, no dawdling, don't want to catch you sleeping with the fishes. I've not cut out there. Storms are brewing. Ah, then take this net to catch the flying jellyfish. They'll make an excellent side dish for the main. But after that, take these rice seeds, plant them in the gardens on the second deck. And when they're grown, take the rice, grind it into flour in a mill on the other side of the ship. Have you lost touch with reality? What kind of vessel is this? One on which we can outlast the world! Reality? Where we're going, we don't need reality, my friend. We have everything we need right here. Just us, Pirate Pixel Radio, and the Patreons. I mean, patrons. Uh, I just peeked into the restaurant and there's no one there. Just a few sheep and a cow. What? Impossible. And those gardens you wanted me to grow? Maybe I don't really want to know how your garden grows. I just want to fly. Well, you might be in luck, because, uh, I don't know how to say this, but you're looking ever so slightly transparent. This can't be happening. I want to live forever! Is it supernatural? No, it's Oasis. I mean, the boat. Is this a ghost ship? Oh, uh, of course not. Though, now you mention it, I do feel suddenly chilly. You could just lend me your warmth. Hey, no way! You can't just float into me like that. It's inappropriate. You'll lose touch with your physical form. Don't be daft. I know I'm not Teo. I'm Ben. I'm no longer sure I'm not Ben but Teo. And this is Pixel Vision. I reckon we'll be able to uh, salvage that. I reckon we'll salvage it somehow. From the wreck, the craft, the vessel of that intro. The sunken remains, the floating debris, the, the flotsam and jetsam. Jetsam. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Good. Okay, okay. We are talking about... Oh, hang on. To be fair, you usually do that bit, don't you? Do I? Yeah, I always prompt you. I say, what game are we talking about, Teo? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, uh, we're talking about Spiritfarer today. No colons in sight, just a nice little name. Spirit fairer. I mean, it's two words smushed together. I suppose it is a sort of compound word. So they dropped the colon and made a portmanteau instead. Hmm. True. True. Well, yeah. What What do you think? What's your initial reacts on this one? Um. Ooh, I kind of feel like you maybe need to go first on this one. <laughs> well, I mean, I liked it, but it's the kind of game which, in hindsight, I'm surprised. That I persuaded you to play <laughs> because it's not the kind of thing that I think you'd ordinarily go for 
and I've suggested a few games in the past that are in the farming sim mold, and you've been downright like, nah. <laughs> no, <laughs> we're not trying those. Well, I think it's ignorance on my part that led me to just enthusiastically take this on board. Yeah, ignorance on my part as well, because I didn't know there was going to be so much a farming sim aspect to this game, but there certainly was. Yeah. Well, so I wanted you to go first because I don't think I did like it. Mm. Not in the least, in fact. Mm. I see, I see. In fact, I'd go so far as to say it's probably the least enjoyment I've had playing a video game since I played Death Stranding. I knew you were going to say that. And when you told me that you'd played it for 25 hours, I'm guessing you played it for longer in the end. Yeah, it was, it was more than that, yeah. Oh, no. Um, I just thought, ah, uh, this is one of those games where Ben has completed it but not enjoyed it, but felt like he, he had to soldier on to the very end. Yeah, and do you know what? I still feel enslaved by that kind of game because I'm sat there almost the entire time just literally spamming square. Like I'm playing on a PlayStation mm. and... There aren't very many buttons that do anything in this game, but the main button is the action button, and you just have to spam it through dialogue, through like whatever action you're doing, blah, blah, blah. It's just square, square, square. And I'm sat there doing that, and I'm barely reading the dialogue. I'm reading it, but I'm thinking, this is just gobbledygook. It's nonsensical. I just want to get to the end. I just want to get to the end. Mm. And then I think, oh, maybe I'm nearly there, and then I unlock another spirit. And rather than thinking... Yeah, I should probably just pack it in, to be honest. I know what I'm getting with this game and I don't dig it. I'm like, well, I'll just finish the spirit. And it's like this weird little trap you, you fall into and you can't climb out until you see the fucking credits roll. Yeah, and to be fair, like, I think it's a fair accusation to level at this game. There's a lot of grind for a, a very little amount of story. And similarly to how you critiqued Oxenfree for making you walk slowly while you were discovering the story. In this, it's similar, but rather than walking slowly, you've got like a whole crafting kind of machine engine, which you've got to put in ingredients and get ingredients out so that you can advance the story. Yeah, and where some games, as you progress, you upgrade your abilities so that the grindy stuff becomes quicker. With this game, as you progress, your boat gets bigger and is further to walk. <laughs> it's just like more and more annoying as you develop. Hmm. But before we get there, I mean, you've kind of sort of hinted at what your terminal is going to be, but you're going to have to do it a proper one now. So you're up. It's called Spiritfarer. It's a 2D narrative farming sim game set on a boat. So the game starts and you're taken over from our old friend Charon, or Charon, never know how his name's pronounced, but the Greek ferryman anyway, who ferries dead souls from the land of the living to the land of the dead. So you're essentially in this kind of purgatory space. Uh, and the game begins with uh, Charon disappearing and uh, you taking over his job as the spirit fairer. Rather than Caron's dinky little rowing boat, you get a whole massive barge for some reason. And then the whole game is you floating around on this barge, picking up various spirits, almost fulfilling their last requests or the baggage which they've got left from their life in order so that their souls can find peace and they can be finally released from this kind of spirit land. But 
it's not just any old spirits you're finding. It is uh, people that you that you know, or at least most of them you seem to have actually known in your life. So as the game develops, your own character goes on their own story as well. But yeah, as we alluded to before, overlaid onto this is a Harvest Moon style farming sim, or Stardew Valley would be a more modern equivalent where you can grow crops and smelt ores in the foundry and all of this kind of business, cook food in the kitchen. All of this kind of stuff allows you to fulfill various different tasks for the spirits. And I don't know whether you finished the game, Teo. I did. I did finish the game. I, I finished it last night. It was annoying in the end because um, I'm guessing I had two spirits left to do. Like one that was still on my boat. Was that Buck or Lily? It was Buck, yeah. And I didn't find that. I don't think I find that one because there was one house left. Like you can see how many different... You build all the spirits' houses on your boat. And uh, yeah, I had one blueprint that was left mysterious at the end so i'm guessing i didn't find one so it took me a little bit longer because i just i wanted to find them but i didn't in the end so i just completed the game as it was but i had 88 percent, so i can't mean that much left to do but buck i don't think goes through the ever door so we didn't mention it or you didn't mention ah. it you take all your spirits to a location called the ever door mm. which is just this sort of bridge that reflects perfectly in the water to form a sort of perfect circle mm. which is poetic i suppose the circle of life i suppose ah! yeah exactly and initially when i first started playing this i thought it was like agricola meets zelda in 2d yeah nice and then after playing it for a few hours i was like whoa that is way generous on all fronts (laughs) other than it is in 2d that bit's just straight up accurate (laughs) (laughs) but i think i got way more enjoyment i get way more enjoyment out of agricola and Zelda is just in another league and has way more exploration and story and mystery and fun in general. Mm. This game is a series of mini games, none of which would tax a fairly stupid child, I think. Yeah, that's fair. The process by which you craft in this game, like you say, is those little mini games, but they're all variations of like tapping a button the same button <laughs> the same button yeah and unfortunately they're really not inventive at all like you've got to think that they're knowing right because the last crafting building that you unlock is the crusher and that's the one where it's like it is literally like there's no like dials or anything you've got to pay attention to you're just spamming the button yeah. and i thought oh ben's gonna love this from your time playing it takes two i was thinking you're gonna be crushing things pretty fast probably double the speed that i'm gonna be crushing things no but the game has a built-in limiter so you actually just can't go faster than it goes if you see what i mean okay okay okay. which the game does in every aspect like you can't walk faster than it walks you can't skip prompts like the text scrolls across in that classic marquee style Mm. and whereas normally square like instant fail and finish this game nope you gotta wait for it to fail at its own slow snail-like pace (laughs) and that's true of absolutely everything including the crusher as an example of the crusher minigame it is as teo says you spam the same button x number of times depending on what you're crushing i think it varies anywhere from five to i think eight or nine Mm. and that's it You just have to do it slowly, but you have to do every single one five times. So if you put five quarts in there to crush one of them, you hit square five times to crush all five. You have to hit 25 times. If you've got a different thing like silica or whatever, and you want silica powder, then it's eight times. And by the time you've crushed all of them, 
40 times. Wow. This has gone mathematical. <laughs> but I mean, it's a nuts number of times to hit the same fucking button very slowly because the game can't accept it fast. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the most egregious thing about this, or the one of these, which is a good example of this, is the smelter. Oh, the game kind of hints that it's going to take some skill to do this. It's like, be careful because you've got to pay attention to how hard you're hitting the hammer on the thing. And like, you're not though. You don't get like a feel for each kind of metal to do like brass or steel or whatever. You're just tapping the button until you can tap it again. Yeah. Basically the the hammer turns red in exactly the same way as the fucking fishing rod turns red. Like it's not even a new sort of Mm. prompt. And if you hit it when it's red, then it gets too hot and burns and you have to wait before you can start hitting it again. So like the punishment for getting it wrong is just more time sat waiting for the game. Mm. And most of the time you just hit it, it's white, it goes slightly orange, then you hit it and you sort of build in a delay to each of your strikes. But, uh, uh, awful. Mm. Those mini games, not good. And I was trying to work out as I was playing it because I love farming sims, right? Like Stardew Valley is one of my favorite games. But there's only really one mini game in Stardew Valley. That's the fishing. And it's a lot more fun to fish in Stardew Valley than it is to do any of the mini games in this. And it's okay in Stardew Valley because it's like a one off. The rest of the time, you're kind of creating your own to do list. And the satisfaction is having this like lush farm at the end of it. Whereas this, it feels like you're kind of on rails. Like you don't grow a crop unless you need to, you don't smelt a thing unless somebody wants it. So it's a lot more like a to-do list than Stardew Valley is. Yeah. Stardew Valley is a to-do list, but it's your to-do list, which makes it a bit more, I don't know, gives you a bit more freedom. And that sort of compulsive enslavement thing I alluded to before is worsened by the fact that, for instance, say you've got your orchard with a couple of trees in and you know it's growing fruit. Every time you walk past it and it has fruit, you sort of feel obliged to shake the fruit. Oh, yeah. And so you do it. And with the orchard, you have to build several of them to put enough trees in to get all the fruit in the game kind of thing. With the orchard, that's not too bad because actually they don't develop fruit. It takes quite a while for them to sort of fully grow. Mm. Whereas your fields and your garden and the worst of all, sheep. Once you've got five or six sheep on your boat, I swear down, they grow their wool in like one sleep overnight. They go from you having shorn them to the bone, practically, to then they're just fully woolly again. Oh, that's a nice little phrase. Hmm. And so every time you walk past a sheep, you feel kind of compelled to shorn it. Ah, shear it. Shear it. <laughs> you feel compelled. No one would know I grew up in the country with that. Well, life on the farm is kind of laid back. Ain't much an old country ball like me can't have. Early to rise, early in a sack. I thank God I'm a country boy. Well, a simple kind of life never did me no harm Raising me a family and working on the farm Days are all filled with an easy country charm Thank God I'm a country boy <laughs> Also, if you don't feed the sheep, then it eats your crops So you're kind of constantly checking on the status of your sheep Every time you walk past them, you're like, even if it's Sean You're like, oh, but it might be hungry I better just still interact with it mm. Every single thing on your boat is like that, one way or another even the cow, like the cow stands up, you milk it, then it sits down, then you feed it, then it stands up, then you milk it, then it sits down. Every time it stood up, you're like, oh, I've got to milk the cow. It's like this weight on your shoulders that you just can't do anything about. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And just to like paint a bit of a picture of what this boat looks like, 
It's just this massive barge and you're building your structures kind of on top of each other. So you can build them anywhere in this 2D space and however high you build them, it'll just build a little post or a ladder for you to get up to it. But essentially what you have at the end is this kind of shanty town looking boat with like all these different characters houses on and the gardens and orchards and stuff as as you say but yeah like you're right if there's a thing there to gather if it's gatherable you feel like you have to go and gather it and click on it and i don't know like i played a lot of these games and about 10 hours in i was doing the same thing i was just like i know that i'm going to end this game with literally about like 10 times more produce than i could ever use in the entire game so at that point i just stopped gathering and i only gathered the things that i needed for the tasks which is kind of a shame because then at that point you're like just going through the motions to see the story yeah you're literally just trying to follow plot point to plot point but even those the game forces you to wait for so for instance you get a spirit on board your vessel and he says, oh, yeah, yeah, come and meet me over in the guest house or whatever. Mm. So you run and meet him over in the guest house. You talk to him and he says, oh, I'm just settling in. Talk to me again later. Then you just got a dilly dally <laughs> while you wait for him to do nothing. So you just harvest some stuff, sleep, maybe travel somewhere. And then an exclamation mark appears above his head and you run over and he's like, oh, do you know what? I'm really hungry. I could do with a corn dog. Mm. It's just like these kind of things. It would be forgivable. It wouldn't be forgivable, actually. It's unforgivable, but it, it would be <laughs> more forgivable. <laughs> if they'd at least got a coherent story. But because it's this sort of pseudo-philosophical, like you're meant to be in Stella as the main character, and I think she's meant to be basically on her deathbed or has died, but maybe can sort of loosely hear voices in the hospital bed that she's in. Mm. And I think it's kind of all the characters that she's interacted with in her life. And because it's got that going, you first have to meet all those characters, but you're only getting sort of snippets of them. So, for instance, one of them's an elderly woman. So she's got like a floppy hat on and clutches a brooch and a flower and she's constantly really forgetful. They've all got these kind of silly little quirks. You meet one guy who's a big bull and he's being carried around by his hummingbird brother they're like the gangster ones, but none of them really make any sense. They're just little snippets of lives. And I sort of get that that's the point it's going for. Like, it's meant to be whimsical. It's meant to be a little bit original, a little bit colorful, fresh, and make you think about, you know, the passing of souls. And I think that's why yeah. it's going for this plodding time frame. Like, oh, we just do everything really slowly because there is no rush. This is the afterlife. But mm. this isn't the afterlife. I'm alive right now. I'm in a fucking <laughs> rush. There's loads of way better games I want to play than this dog shit. <laughs> that is jokes. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a little bit unfair. I think that the thing I alluded to at the start about people fulfilling their last wishes before they can pass on or like, the theme of like finding peace is like really apparent in this game through every character's story. I think it does that adequately well. I did want each of the characters in it to find peace. And by the way, they're all animals. You sort of kind of said there was a hummingbird there, but we didn't make it fit. Like every spirit you find, as soon as it arrives on your board, it um your board, your boat, it turns into its like spirit animal form, which again isn't ever really explained. I think you called it a board because it's got that board game vibe to it slightly. Yeah. Like you're accruing pieces and moving them around. Yeah. And you even mentioned Agricola earlier, but like you said, there's no puzzle like there is in Agricola. It's all very straightforward. And also there's a pleasure to harvesting in Agricola and to Mm. building your farm. Like the shape that it takes, which resources you prioritise, all those things. Like one of the things I've always said about Agricola is when I finish a game of Agricola, even though usually I've done terribly and I'm coming last, I'm always quite proud of my little farm. 
Whereas in this, I couldn't give a crap where everything went on the boat. I was just like, can I build it yet? Great. Where shall I put it? There's a gap. Like, no thought. It didn't inspire any uh, kind of... Interesting, because in Stardew Valley or similar games, there is a lot of satisfaction to laying out your farm. I did have that a bit in this, but you are... I mean, it can only be so, like, pretty or, like, nicely laid out the way that it works because there's just only so much space until right at the end. And, yeah, you're right. By that point, you've kind of lost the will a little bit. I did definitely, like, think about the layout. But, the you know. irony of losing the will to live in a game about departing life. <laughs> to give an example of some of the little the little stories of characters so like one character you meet quite early on is this snake summer and he kind of helps you with all your gardening and it turns out that in his life he was really involved in um essentially like big agriculture and mass producing crops and like so he goes on about how much that was hurting the world and the environment and all that kind of thing and he feels bad about that so he wants to like reconnect and do things more slowly and grow things more slowly and that kind of thing so yeah i don't know like the story's told really simply you're saying that and looking at me like don't you think that's quite good don't you think that's good and i'm thinking no (laughs) but i don't know it's just a nice little plot point like he's regretting these decisions in his life in the afterlife and he's trying to find a way to come to peace with himself once he feels like he has by teaching you you need to know about gardening he's off to meet hades Mm, yeah which is represented by a giant owl actually the bits with hades were quite artistic and like i say when i first saw the game the aesthetic of the game i thought it might charm me it was quite cutesy Mm. and had that sort of yeah colorful palette that you think this is just a game to unwind to Mm. and i think it would be that kind of game if it was just marginally more creative in terms of the actual interaction that you have with it Mm. I mean, if the plot was better as well and the stories, like you've picked out Summer there, I think, because Summer had marginally more of a sensible plot than many of the others. Like that massive bull thing that I mentioned, I can't remember the name, like Bruce or something. He's just like a gangster type figure. But like, as an example, at one stage, he says to you, oh, there's one massive score. We need to do one final score before we go to the Everdor. And you're like, oh, okay, what's this going to be? This will be interesting. And he's like, but I need carrots. I need lots of carrots. And so then your quest is to get a hundred carrots. So you start your quest and you're like, this is a fucking pain because I've already got loads and I've sold them and whatever. But fine, I'll grow some carrots. You start growing them. Then he gets a little exclamation mark over his head, like another hour into the game or whatever. And you go over to him and he says, did I say carrots? I never said carrots. I'd never say carrots. I meant peaches. So then you start growing peaches. Oh, okay, fine. I'll get some peaches. And then he just says, I don't need peaches or carrots. Let's just go to the Everdorf. And you're like, what? What are you... What? I took that... I basically took that to mean he was trying to extend his time not going to the Everdor. Do you know what I mean? He was actually, like, arbitrarily giving you tasks, putting off the inevitable. He was arbitrarily giving me tasks. (laughs) But that's, like, true in the game. I did also think, with the 100 carats thing, that that's the game being knowing about what it's doing. Exactly the same thing as I mentioned with the Crusher earlier. But then it doesn't really follow because if you know that you're giving players boring tasks or getting them to complete boring mini games then why have you given them those games in the first place <laughs> like yeah, exactly. if you're referencing that you know that and why did you do that 
very odd. And let's talk some more about those mini games because there are tons of them, and each character unlocks a new one. Mm. And most of them are the same mini game mm. with a different skin. Mm. So, for instance, one of them's like, "Oh yeah, there's a comet shower, isn't it beautiful?" And yeah, there's sort of fireworky type things flying through the sky, and you're like, "Okay, great." And then you start the event. It always calls it an event. The character prompts you. You skip through a load of dialogue to start the event. Eventually, it starts and. I think it's like comets, but it's yeah, more yeah. like fireworks landing on the deck. And you just run over to them to pick them up. And in the lead up to this event, this particular event, I think, is led by Giovanni. Is that right? The lion? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. Who's the womanizing lion. But anyway, he says, oh, yeah, it's really dangerous. It's really dangerous. But you'll be OK, I'm sure. I'm going to stay well out of the way. And so you think, oh, I wonder what's going to happen. Like, is there going to be any kind of difficulty? Am I going to have to jump out of the way at certain points? No, just run into every single exploding comet. Everything on your screen that flashes, run at and pick up. And it, you collect comet rock and ore or whatever else. So then you think, okay, that's fine. That's one of them. Maybe that's just an easy one. Go to another one and it's like, oh, there's bugs. We've got to collect the bugs. Bugs come flying at the ship and you have to run around and get the bugs. And then the next one is like something to do with like these lights that come flying yeah. in in a line. Yeah. Except that one, even more annoying because whereas all the others, you just run at them and collect them. That one, as you run at them, they avoid you. They just avoid you, just move out of the way. Yeah, they kind of swerve out of the way. The first one of those is like the flying jellyfish, and then you've got the fireflies and you've got the pulsar roar. But they're all variations of things flying across the screen. You've got a jump at, and as like platforming activities, they're not fun. <laughs> they're not fun at all. But again, you don't actually have to do too many of them unless you choose to. Like you could probably get away with doing it like two or three times. And they're visually, like, kind of interesting, and the, the soundtrack's quite varied. Are they visually interesting? I don't think they're visually interesting. They're the same thing with a different, like, art item. You were seeing ones and zeros. <laughs> <laughs> Basically. But one of them, uh, the one by that green bird buck that we mentioned before, mm. they're obsessed with role-playing games. Mm. So theirs are, like, characters, but they're just these cardboard cutouts that appear on the ship and you run over to them and then knock them over and they collapse again. It's exactly the same as all the others, but it's just a cardboard cutout instead of a firework mm. or instead of a bug. It's the exact same thing. Like every single minigame is like that. I don't think that's visually interesting. Yeah, okay, okay. Well, maybe visually interesting is generous, but I just mean that the animations and the art are quite nice to look at. Mm. <laughs> Not convinced. <laughs> Well, well, maybe the very first time, like you, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah, changing yeah. a biome and you're like, oh, this is all right. Yeah, exactly. And then you spend another 10 hours in it and you're like, Jesus Christ, this is a horrible place. But I don't want to defend them because they are boring. Like, you're not wrong. <laughs> There's another mini game to grow your plants faster. So they grow naturally anyway, although their growing is impaired because you need to keep watering them every time you run past them pretty much. And to make them grow faster, you can play guitar to them. And the guitar is the same song, the same song, it, the whole way through the game. And it's not even the same song, it's like four bars. Mm. It's like four bars of music. I've written longer jingles for this podcast, <laughs> for one episode of this podcast. And there's just a 30-hour game 
Yeah, it's true. I don't know why they made you play the same song over and over again. Because they even give you, like, you build, like, a lounge and you can look at the jukebox, a classic game mechanic where you can choose to play any of the songs from the game. Loads of songs in this game. Loads of music composed. But for some reason, yeah, they make you play the same song over and over again on your guitar to the plants. If you choose to do that. I mean, I, I did that once. And yeah. yeah, I didn't bother either. I think we'll go back to some of the, the characters' stories because that was the thing which made me want to keep playing. But what about the exploration in the game as well? Because it's a fairly large world to discover. Like you're on this boat and you're traveling to all these different islands. There are different biomes, things to discover. Although, you know, as we've already said, like the the produce and the, the things that you collect in this game feel a little bit hollow. Yeah, it's a large enough world that it's introduced its own little type of fast travel that I'm very curious as to what you think of this fast travel because it's fast in the sense that you can get from A to B quicker as long as you go via C and D, which you didn't need to go to before you could have just gone between A and B. But now you need to go to C first. That will take you to D. And then from D, you're probably closer to B. Yeah. Crap. (laughs) That's not fast travel. That's fast travelling between two points I didn't want to go to. Yeah, and again, there's a little... I felt like there was a little knowing thing with the fast travel. So essentially the fast travel system is this... They're called bus stops, but there's this magical seal that's at the bus stop that teleports you from one bus stop to another. Um, it's, it's just like a rock in the sea and he's there. And he plays this really, really annoying music, right? And you can ask him to turn his music off because I guess they know it's annoying. And he's like, oh, no, you're not going to make me turn my music off, are you? And it's like, yeah, <laughs> I am. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, really weird, like you say. But that's, that's a great point, though. So they've written a tune and put it to this character that you're going to interact with frequently throughout the game, especially towards the end, where Lily, one of the characters that's like butterfly character, basically says to you, to just travel all over the map. Like her quest line is basically like, meet me at this shrine on this far-flung corner of the map. Mm. And you do it. And then she's like, meet me on this other shrine on this other far-flung corner of the map. So you're obviously just teleporting between each place, basically like fast traveling. Mm. And so you're going to interact with this seal over and over. They know you're going to do that. And they've given it the most annoying theme music ever. so annoying they let you turn it off as you say (laughs) and then mock you for turning it off i ended up muting the whole bloody game because all the music was like that by the end and all the characters do that thing that we touched on in the last episode of being like every time you're interacting with them the sound didn't apart from the seal music the sound didn't annoy me i thought the soundscape in it was good we didn't find it repetitive not really, because like, you, you're going through like the comet showers and like the comet music kicks in. Oh, it was like the torture from A Clockwork Orange, I thought, Did by you? the time you were getting to the end. You needn't take it any further, son. You've proved to me that all this ultraviolence and killing is wrong, wrong and terribly wrong. I've learned my lesson, sir. I've seen now what I've never seen before. I'm cured. Praise God. Yeah, well, fair. I mean, if you're not enjoying the game, then you're not going to stick around for the music, are you? It's just going to remind you of the game you're playing, which you don't enjoy. 
Yeah, also, I could do other stuff. I mean, I'm not joking about doing other stuff. I was listening to podcasts. At one point, I was literally walking between rooms, hitting the square button with my left hand on the controller while I was, like, cooking or some shit with my right hand. Oh, it's, man. like, literally such a passive engagement with this game. Why did you put yourself through it? You should have stopped. Yeah. You should have stopped. I know, I should have. I wrote down a few of the musics, actually. Like, uh, the music in the mines, I thought, was quite good. It reminded me of when you go into the caves in Final Fantasy. I really like the music in those games. Soon, Master Elf, you will enjoy the fabled hospitality of the dwarves. Roaring fires, malt beer, red meat off the bone. This, my friend, is the home of my cousin Valinor, and they call it a mine. A mine! Let's talk about the mines then. All right. Because we can carry on with the music in the different areas. But so the mines are what you'd kind of expect from mines in a 2D platforming game, right? Like they're dark, you go in, you can only see a sort of orb around you. There's loads of secret areas, which, as you know, I've said previously, I quite enjoy. Mm. Quite like jumping at edges just in case I can pass through them. And you can in a lot of instances in mm. this game. But you also unlock abilities in this game that you don't know that you need or get prompted to get until such and such a character unlocks them for you. So, for instance, the most obvious one of these is double jumping. Mm. So, like, some things just seem out of reach and then eventually you unlock the double jump and you can reach them. Another one is gliding. So, once you've jumped off a ledge, there might be a platform that you just can't reach no matter how much you jump it. And it turns out it's because you can glide. Then later in the game, you get dash which lets you sort of i really enjoyed the dash animation actually like flings you from one side to the other and your like chest goes out as if you're being like dragged there by a piece of rope or something Mm. i quite like that there's another one that i'm missing zip line oh zip lining as well yeah uh which lets you kind of as described zip line between two points but you can also go vertically so it's not confined to physics and the rules therein but basically when you are working your way through a mine initially that's quite you know there is a sense of exploration and reward there you're like oh what am i going to find but then you get to a point and it's there's one bit in particular i'm thinking of that was like oh yeah clearly i need an ability here to get up there Mm. it's the glide ability fine i unlock that i go rushing back all excited go up the glide bit get to a ledge oh i need a zip line okay fine go back go unlock that get the zip line come back get to even further up at the top of the zip line there's like a bouncy thing didn't mention that yet you have to have to unlock bounce it's like mm. oh my god this fucking mine is already difficult to navigate and now i'm having to come back repeatedly just in case the thing at the top is worth it and it never is mm. it's like a gem that i don't need <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that is completely true. I had the same experience as well with unlocking secrets. Like initially, I was excited to go back to areas I'd visited and find the secrets with the new abilities that I had. But then, really quickly, you realise I don't need any of the stuff that's in these so-called rare chests. The best thing you could find is a blueprint, which some of them like you really do want. Like for instance, the blueprint for the improved smelter, rather than making like 
five ingots at a time, you make 10 and that saves you so much time. Mm -hmm. But then it's like, if the biggest reward in this game is for me to save time so that I have to play less of the game, (laughs) is that really what you want to be striving for? And it kind of is like in, again, I keep going back to Stardew Valley because I think it's quite a good touchstone just in terms of enjoying a farming scene, which I have enjoyed. In that game, it's like you enjoy the kind of struggle of the early game and then you upgrade your farming equipment and you can do things quicker. It gives you more time to explore other parts of the game. That all feels like a good like in an RPG when you're getting stronger it feels like a good curve mm. whereas in this like you say you just do feel like it's it's wasting your time a little bit and you've got too much too much of the stuff too many diamonds too many yeah yeah and the progression the unlocking of those things isn't clear either and i think that's really problematic like there were a lot of times in the game when i felt like i'd done everyone's quest but i just didn't know where i was meant to go no one had an exclamation mark over their head. I'd visited all of the islands. I was like, am I literally just meant to be waiting for the next exclamation mark to appear? Mm. And that happened loads of times. And like things where I'd unlocked every upgrade on the boat that I could afford. As an example, bottled ectoplasm. Jesus Christ. Oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, Jesus Christ. Benton! I needed it for like three different quest lines. Yeah. They were the only quest lines I had. I had no idea where to get it from. And it comes from finding a seed when you're fishing or from buying the seed from this like wandering merchant called Francis. And I bought every single seed. Every time I interacted with Francis, which was pretty frequently just for a change of scene, I bought all of their seeds and it never cropped up. I fished constantly because I'm a compulsive gamer and I could, so I did, and I didn't find the seed. And I was just traveling around this world, like where the hell do I get bottled ectoplasm? Eventually I looked it up and someone was like, oh, you just have to fish it out of the sea. So then I was just traveling around fishing everywhere, (laughs) hoping to get this fucking seed. Uh, I mean, obviously I got it in the end, but I was like, it was so unclear. Like no character says like, hmm, to get this bottled ectoplasm, what we really need is another character. Yeah, I did think that, and fortunately, as, as often the way uh, with me and you, I did just get it randomly. Like, I didn't have to... Go to <laughs> like, I just fished it up, and I was like, huh, what's this? And then planted it, and then this mushroom kid appears called Stanley. But I could see how that would be annoying if you just didn't fish it out. Like, mm. basically, it's leaving integral progression things to, to chance, isn't to it? To chance, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly it. Nail on the head. Stanley is a character, so he's this, like, mushroom-headed guy. I guess little boy, maybe? He seems like a little boy. Yeah, he's a, he's a child. He's always talking about his parents. And- yeah, and he also, he wants to, like, explode things and do experiments mm. and whatever. He's probably one of the most interesting characters just because yeah, I agree. he gives you stuff and tells you to... Basically, he says, try this in the foundry, and it's like a shoe. And you think, yes, I can smash a shoe instead of a bit of ore or whatever. Yeah, or put a leak in the loom, see what comes out. Yeah, but then you just wonder to yourself, why couldn't I do that before? <laughs> If I, if that's been possible, I've had leaks this entire time. I've had a loom this whole time. Why can't I just try it? Mm. But it's the same with one of the other areas that I presume, um, well, not presume. I know that Teo is uh, joshing us with in the intro is this kitchen area on the boat. Mm. Can you fry an egg? Can you fry? I remember the first time I ever heard that advert and I thought, no. <laughs> Maybe the Navy's not for me. (laughs) 
And then it said, could you fry an egg on a boot? I thought, no. Then it said, could you fry an egg on a boat in a storm? I thought, no. I thought, to be honest, you're not making this any easier. And... That is a mix and match type thing, which, you know, you get in loads of these kinds of games, um, Don't Starve and others. Mm, Breath of the Wild. Yeah, Breath of the Wild's a good example, actually. Just throwing together ingredients and then hoping you get a meal out of it. Um, and this one has a like recipe book as well, so you can unlock the recipes first before you've baked them or whatever. Mm. And different characters have different preferences. But earlier on in this episode, you said something along the lines of, oh, I just stopped doing it after a while because I was like, I don't think I need it and what's the point? And I stopped feeding my characters after a while for the same reason. And it just didn't seem to have any bearing on anything. They were just annoying. Every time I spoke to them, they were like, oh, what can I do to get some food around here? I was like... I wonder what happens if I just don't feed you. And they've got these little mood indicators. <laughs> Tails in stitches. They've got these little mood indicators, like a triangle. A green triangle appears above their head when their mood's going up and a red mm. one appears pointing down when their mood is going down. But I don't know that their mood had any bearing on anything throughout the entire game. Really? But when you click on their mood symbol, you can see what their mood is, right? Yeah, but what does it affect? But then there's a little box that says like, oh, when they're happy, they'll go and chop logs for you or smelt ore for you or give you stuff. Yeah, but we already said that we already got too much, too much of everything. Of the stuff. And, and that's totally true. And again, I, what I feel like the game does knowingly as the characters go on is that initially that actually seems like it might be useful. So like, yeah, oh, great. I don't have to saw the logs at the sawmill myself. Do you like that minigame, by the way? I thought you might like the sawmill, especially. Oh my God, yeah, the sawmill. So in the sawmill, <laughs> this log just moves like along a conveyor belt with a dashed line and you have to just move a blade up or down to coincide with the line. And on the first ones, it's like fairly basic. I mean, they're all fairly basic, but they start really basic and get marginally less so. I ended up using the D-pad. I actually ended up using the D-pad throughout the whole game, to be honest, rather than the analog stick. Just seemed a bit more, like, specific to what I was trying to do. And, yeah, just up and down on the D-pad while this log comes at you. And it's very slow. It's the slowest one by a mile. I mean, you get like six planks per log. You need loads of planks, though. You do, yeah, you do. So you need loads. Some of the things you're building, sheep corrals. By the time I was building my like fifth sheep corral, because they can only hold one each and you've got like seven sheep or whatever. By the time I was building my fifth one, it was something like 80 log planks that were required. It's a crap ton of logs. Yeah, it's a lot of planks. But yeah, so initially you think, like, oh, great, I'm outsourcing some of the mundane tasks to, to the crew. But they give you maybe like two planks a day, like if you're lucky, and if you keep feeding them, like you say. So, and I, again, I felt like the game knew that because as it moves on, the characters' bonuses, if you want to call them that, become less and less relevant to the actual game that you're playing. Like Buck, for instance, the guy that likes Dungeons and Dragons, if he's happy, he just gives you some like toffee and popcorn. <laughs> it's like, what am I going to do with this, Buck? <laughs> like, but it's funny like well it's in keeping with their character and i think gives them personality but certainly not like 
actually useful from a practical standpoint. No, not at all. I didn't find it funny, to be honest. No, I can tell. (laughs) 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 Um, But let's go back to Stanley for a second, because you said he was the most interesting character. And he was the most interesting character for me because he's a child. And by the time you get him... As you say, you're a little bit going through the motions with the game. So you're like, okay, like, I'm kind of done with this game, but I do want to see through the story. So you're like clicking through. But then you kind of take a step back and you're like, oh, this is a kid that's died. That was like a little bit affecting when I thought that. And he's like getting you through the challenges and like wanting to make you happy. He puts on this play. It's weird. Like he puts on this play for the other crew members and it's a really shit play. Like it doesn't mean anything. Like it's just kind of a description of the interaction that he's had with you in the course of the game. Then he, he gets you to ask the other spirits like what they thought of the play, and they're all a bit like, yeah, well, it wasn't a very good play. You get the choice to lie to him. Occasionally in the game, you get a yes-no choice. It's not clear exactly what effect that has. Did you lie out of interest? Because I always just told the truth. I did, yeah. Okay. I did, I lied. I was like, yeah, they loved it. And he was like, oh, I can tell in your face that they didn't, blah, 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 blah. And you're like, oh, poor Stanley. And he's I don't know. I just felt really bad for Stanley. It's this kid that's died and... Yeah, you take him off to the Everdoor like everyone else, but... Yeah, but this stuff reminds me a little bit of... You know when you're watching, like, quite a crap TV show or a film, Mm. and you can tell that it's just been designed to draw an emotion from you? Right, right, Like, extract an emotion from you. And there's a guy, I can't remember what his channel is on YouTube, there's a guy who just does the scenes without the music and stuff, (laughs) just to show how actually unaffecting they are until you have this epic score and sort of all the other bells and whistles and lighting and stuff that really, really draw that emotion out of you. And I felt like Stanley was a bit like that because all he really said was, oh, people are so mean. I don't know why people are so mean. People don't have to be mean. My dad said they're not always mean and sometimes they just have other things going on in their lives. And you're like, brilliant. What a revelation. I'm glad I played this game. Mm, bit pithy, yeah. Bit pithy. Yeah, yeah, it's fair, fair, fair. But they're all like that. That's why I described it as pseudo-philosophical before, because it feels like it's trying to be profound. But it's just not profound. There's nothing profound about it mm. at all. I was struggling to sort of find reasons why people would have liked it. Because did you know, this game is so popular, (laughs) they're still putting out updates to it. So the most recent one was um, April earlier this year. And up until that point, the April update allowed you to have waypoints when you're navigating. So up until then, when you wanted to go from A to B to C to D... You literally just had to do it manually every single time. I was doing it manually. I didn't even notice that. What? I didn't even notice the waypoints. Once again, I didn't notice the waypoint system. How did you pick up crates? I just went to them and then went to the next place. Oh man, that must have been so arduous. It was arduous enough, but... But then I stopped picking up crates after the first like five hours or whatever, because it's like, I've got the things I need. True, true. That's what I mean is they're still like adding characters into the game. They're still adding like waypoints is a new thing but it's just mad that someone is loving it and i'm Mm. like who is it just really young children maybe if it is would you want your kid playing a game about like dying of cancer and having loads of other people like around you who are also dying yeah because it's not quite done sensitively enough for for a kid is it it's borderline grotesque i think there's these little memories where you see sort of snippets of someone's life well stella's life in particular Mm. she's like lay on a hospital bed and there's a drip in her arm and there's like people gathered around her and her sister shows up lily she's just getting pissed on a bottle of whiskey 
she's just drinking more and more of it. And she's like, oh, I just finished this whiskey because I've drank enough for the both of us. And it was almost like some of the themes it wanted to address were the kind of themes that were addressed in Oxenfree and the kind of themes that actually were addressed in um, Disco Elysium way back mm. when. But both those games did it better. I mean, Oxenfree still wasn't my finest hour of gaming, but it was a hell of a lot better than this. I, mm. I agree. Like, the stories aren't, like, super nuanced and the two games that you just mentioned like tell their stories a lot better than this game tells its story and it's weird how you have that at the same time as overlaying this farming sin because i have a feeling that maybe that's why it's popular like you've got a kind of a theme which appears to be deep so it's like you're inhabiting a world so you can feel interested like in the abstract about the place that you're in and then you can just enjoy the farming sin but I couldn't enjoy the farming sim on this game. Like, I love that genre, and I didn't think this was a, a good implementation of it. Yeah. One thing I did want to say, actually, and I am going to say, because it underpins how I felt, is that there's something faintly galling about the premise itself, which is that you take on these spirits, you run errands for them, you upgrade their little houses, and do all everything that they're commanding. But as soon as you've done all of that, then they want to leave, they want to get off the boat. So you're thinking, come on, I just built you this house. I've upgraded it to look pimp. I've hung pictures and got you mm. sofas and whatever else. And as soon as you finish those quests, then the spirit disembarks. That's just the whole premise is a little bit frustrating for that reason. Yeah, yeah. Like it's a weird conflict there or opposition, isn't there? And I thought that was interesting, not as the game. Like it made the game worse but just as like a meta decision that they'd make because so much of it was so knowing. So like another example of that is Susan the Collector who tracks all the things that you've like unlocked, which is basically are items that you've seen in the game. And she is like so not fussed, like does not give a shit about all these things you've collected. She's like, oh, great. You've seen this many fish. Who gives a shit, basically? And you're like, you're thinking like, yeah, who gives a shit? Like, why are you telling me that this is pointless? I know it's pointless, but isn't it your job as a game to make me care about collecting these things? Yeah. Because you do want me to play the game, right? It's like, it's like, what? I suppose you could argue that they're trying to make a sort of parody of a metaphor of life in terms of like you accumulate this stuff, yeah. you like try and master things, you sort of go about accruing wealth, and making friends and then once you've done all that you just have to die and move on mm. and i guess maybe that's what it's saying but it's a weird upshot for a game to have yeah but it's not like like frog fractions or like i don't know like it appears to be a sincere game like it's apart from all these like little knowing things that it's doing to you and the fact that it is actually a little bit dry are they are they trolling us <laughs> i don't know <laughs> Well, you can send them a letter. Thunder Lotus Games. Mm, never um, heard of them. Never heard no, of them. Me neither. And they've got two others. One's called Sundered and another's called Jotun. Ah, yeah. Which sounds I, um, faintly Japanese, I'd thought. I, I think it's Norse, actually. Jotun. But oh, is it? I could be wrong. I think I started it. Didn't carry on with it for some reason. That should have been the fate of this game as well. Started it. Didn't carry on with it for some reason. <laughs> yeah. But I was saying, like, the reviews are so good. Everyone absolutely loves this game. I'm wondering if it's the Emperor's New Clothes vibe. I think maybe just enough people were, like, seduced by the promise of the game that it built this momentum around it. And now it seems to have a really positive reception. So if you speak out being like, what, how, wait, what's going on? It's rubbish. Hmm. You're kind of speaking 
heresy against the convention, the conventional reception to the game, which seems to have been really positive. You're on a crusade. You're on a crusade. No, I'm not on a crusade. I don't want to think about this game anymore as soon as we finish this podcast, to be honest. But since we are still talking about it, though, let's go back to music because you were running through some of the biomes that you liked. And I have to say, I did note down two areas where the music was particularly enjoyable as well. Oh, nice. Well, you mentioned, I I actually forgot his name, but you mentioned him. It's called Francis. So he's that floating guy. Mm -hmm. His music's quite quirky, quite fun. It's like... Then there's the music when you go to the, the Everdor to drop someone off. That's kind of like Princess Mononoke, kind of like Studio Ghibli kind of vibes. By the way, when you go to the Everdor to drop someone off, how long are those rowing sequences with nothing happening on screen? So your character says something like, I knew it would end here, and then the speech bubble ends, and then you just row for like 30 seconds, and then another speech bubble ends. It's like, now I'm here, I don't think it will be so hard. And then it disappears, and then you just row for another 30 Mm. seconds, and you're literally not doing anything, you're just looking at the screen while nothing happens, and you're like... Oh, I just thought of something now, though, because it's meant to be, like, reflective and, and zen at those moments, right? Maybe, if you haven't thought much about death, maybe we're just too world-weary for this game, Ben. Like, we've thought too much about death in our lives, so that when a game tries to address it in such a, in a shallow way, we're like, what is this? But maybe if you've, like, you've never thought about death that much, this is kind of, like a good introduction to it or like a, a soft intro to death maybe right what do you think i prefer owning a pet <laughs> my first house a little chap you know, remember him going don't remember my rabbit going though we had two rabbits one was called tiddly and the other was called pom tiddly pom and uh i remember them but i don't actually know when they died because one of my friends came around and said oh i just got a rabbit and i was like i've got a rabbit and we ran around to the hutch and it was empty and i went to my mum where's the rabbit gone she was like it died ages ago <laughs> i was like oh <laughs> oh no and she was like that is why we're not getting another pet for you oh yeah fair enough yeah well, i don't know it's just an idea off, off the cuff there yeah, I mean, you're thinking of reasons why maybe it's a good game and you're coming up short, but keep trying. Uh, what's the <laughs> what's another bit of music that you liked? Because the bit that I liked was the dragons, which um, reminded me of the Mozart in the Jungle theme tune. is a show I've mentioned on this pop before but the theme is great anyway mm. and the music's quite epic I actually think some of the music was a little bit sort of almost uh, Stravinsky or Tchaikovsky style like sweeping Russian epic orchestras uh, I'll see if I can find some of that and throw it in given that a lot of it's just sort of tinkling piano and circus music
only other thing I wanted to say actually was about the implementation of the game as a port to I was playing it on PlayStation 5 but yeah got one now given that I was playing it on a PlayStation 5 and given that it's a 2D hand-drawn game, I was a bit surprised that I got three crashes to the menu screen, mm. which I've, I've literally never had in any way more taxing games. And also the the character of Bruce, the big bull, that keeps flying off when you're trying to talk to him, he goes a little bit pixely and a bit sort of out of render when he turns around. And I was just kind of thinking... This is strange. I wonder if that's the case if you're playing on a PC or if this is just because of the port. I don't know. Mm. <laughs> the least they could have done is make it run smoothly, right? Yeah, I would say so. I didn't have any problems on PC, so yeah, maybe maybe that's a port thing. And we weren't even playing it on NVIDIA GeForce Now. We were not, no. We were not. We've got mention in a while. It hasn't. It hasn't, yeah. Thank God. The housekeeping section's been mercifully free of NVIDIA GeForce now. <laughs> free to talk about so many more exciting things. When was the last housekeeping that we did? I don't know. <laughs> no, me neither. The thing I was going to mention was that the characters in this game obviously disappear as you take them to the Everdor. So your ship gradually becomes like more and more empty as you go on and all of their houses persist. So you've just got all of these empty houses which have kind of grown their spirit flowers in after you've taken them to the Avador. So that I found a little bit atmospheric. Like at some points during the game, it's like full of life. And as you say, like they're all wanting food all the time. That like is a bit annoying, but at least there's like some hustle and bustle about the ship. As the game goes on, it's just like, it was just me and Buck by the end. It felt very, very empty. But although it felt empty, I didn't feel actually a sense of loss with those characters going in the same way that I did in a game like Pyre, which is another super giant game. I'm sure we've mentioned it before, but you're like constantly competing in this tournament. And like, as you get to the end, you choose one of your characters to essentially escape from like the, I can't remember where you're in, if there's like hell or something like that. Anyway, you're choosing your characters and these characters, which are actually useful to you in the game, like they're your players in the game. So you've got to like choose like, oh, I want to free them, but I also want to keep them so that I can use them in the game. So I felt like that was always much more of a decision in that game. Whereas in this one, it's like, just, yeah, it didn't really work in the same way. Yeah, there's a recent or quite recent game called Other Side, I think it's called. You're playing like these sisters. I think it's got quite this cool art style. It's like these sort of vampiric sisters in like a dungeon or something. It's turn-based, but at the end of each sort of section or something, you have to choose which of your sisters to like sacrifice to progress to the next bit mm. or like to, to pull off a certain move like costs life essence and you have to like kill one of them but I remember seeing it and thinking that looked really cool and simultaneously thinking I'm not sure I'd be able to play it because I'm really bad at that like when I actually do care about mm. characters and games I really don't want to let go of them <laughs> I fought with every bone and sinew All I am, I leave to you. Take it. My blood is my legacy. You know when you get given one of those uh, yes-no choices in a game where it's like, oh, the Telltale game is amazing for this. Yeah. Where they give you this decision, you're like, oh my God, I know that I want both the outcome trees of this decision. (laughs) And I can't. Yeah, I'm rubbish at that. Yeah. And another classic example is in Mass Effect. There's a, a mission where you have to lose one of your crew. Oh, yeah. That feels really, really significant. Famously epic decision, that one. Yeah. And in this game, unfortunately, although your boat emptying is kind of sad or bittersweet, it's like you don't really mind that they've gone. I don't mind that it's gone. <laughs> no, you don't. clearly don't mind that it's, it's over. Just a quick point then. I want to know how many hours, because it did only take me 24 hours to complete it. 
which is sounds like it was less than you. Yeah, I think I actually played it for longer, probably because I did have those protracted periods where I couldn't find any bottled ectoplasm because I didn't have Stanley and this mysterious seed. Mm. So yeah, if you are, if after listening to this, you're like, oh, this sounds like my cup of tea. This sounds like an absolute delight. I love nothing more than watching a screen endlessly and hitting the same button over and over. Then make sure you fish for Stanley because he'll hold you up. Mm -hmm. So I think I probably was about closer to 30 hours, I want to say. That's a long time. So yeah, it's too long anyway. Um, I would definitely have have played it just for the charm and, and the novelty of like a farming sim on a ship, like seeing some of the, through these, some of these little stories, but 24 or 30 hours, far, far, far too long. I'd have given it six hours for sure, but not much more. Okay. Those were my concluding comments in case you hadn't realised. Yeah, no, I had realised. I was just thinking, did I have anything else to say about it? And the answer is no. Would you, so you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have even given it six hours? With hindsight? Mm. No, no way. Oh, right. <laughs> wow. um, if it managed to compress the whole pretty much everything it had to offer into maybe if it had the wherewithal to compress the entire game into six hours and it's bruised up the mini games a little bit so they were a bit more interesting Mm. and it let you skip text faster than waiting for it to load and it let you sprint or move faster around the ship and fast travel was between cities and not between random points in the ocean Basically, if you could have automated the game, have it play itself and then just come back to it and it'd be complete, that would pretty much be your ideal. Yeah, but I mean, mate, you say that like that's me saying that, but the truth is like that is pretty much what it is. Like, yeah, you're yeah, hitting I know, I know. square every now and again. I know, I know. So it pretty much is an automated game that you prompt to move between scenes mm. and it spreads over many, many hours. Ugh. Do you know what? I wouldn't play it. I still wouldn't. I still wouldn't. It's like Zack Snyder movies, but worse. Don't play games with me, General. I'll surrender. Okay, cool. Well, do you want to say what we're playing next? Deathloop. Deathloop it is. Deathloop it is. Eee, Deathloop. So Taylor said, oh, I don't know about Deathloop because isn't it going to be a bit close to Halo Infinite? Do you remember saying that? I do. And I'm thinking, in theory, yes. But in practice, no, because I think we're going to be playing that over a period of time and we're not going to want to review it straight off the bat, are we? We're going to want to let it sit mm. and simmer. We're well off that anyway. So yeah, we're playing Deathloop, but I don't actually know that much about the game. So No, me neither, which is good because we'll... Uh, I know it's a first-person shooter. Mm. Actually, I don't know that it's a first-person shooter. It might be a third-person shooter. <laughs> no, it is definitely first-person. And it's by the Dishonored devs, right? Is it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, nice. Oh, good. Oh, this is more my kind of game. (laughs) Oh, yeah, right. Now we're talking games. I remember why we chose to do this podcast. Apologies for being stupidly late. Like, I actually was a little bit late, probably about five to ten minutes, and then my computer just went, like, full-blown fucking kernel panic, but on a Mac. Kernel panic? Yeah, you know a kernel panic? No. <laughs> I've never heard of kernel. Kernel panic? It's when your shell, your kernel, uh... gets all fucked up. 
Got yeah. I was thinking of like you know like sergeant colonel like the army rank. Ah uh, okay right yeah. Sounded more like a robot wars. <laughs> As opposed character. to a general panic, it's a colonel <laughs> panic. <laughs> yeah exactly. Sergeant Bash. I said it sounded like a robot wars character, and of course there's like the Bash console. Yeah. Colonel Panic, Sergeant Bash. Anyway. Don't know where I'm going with this. It's another intro for another game. <laughs> Just, yeah. Yeah, one about robots. Good. 